Uh, good morning. Happy New Year. I wasn't here last week, so I didn't get to say Happy New Year on New Year's Day. Uh, my family and I, we were, uh, uh, most of my family and I, we were up in Buffalo, um, New York, visiting my dad and my siblings and all of their kids. We were a day and a half late uh, to, going up because of the blizzard that hit them. Uh, my older brother, who's lived there his whole life, 46 years, uh, told me this was the worst storm that he's ever had to endure. And we endured some pretty, pretty bad storms growing up in Buffalo, New York. Uh, but we had a great time uh, visiting with all of them. But I'm happy to be back here at Church of the Lakes. Uh, and with you guys, I miss you. Sincerely, I miss you. It's such a joy to be back. Um, last week, I know Robbie kicked off a new series of messages for the new year called Your Best You. And uh, that series is really couched in a bigger initiative that's taking place at uh, Church of the Lakes in 2023. That initiative is called Core 52. I lost my train of thought for a second there. Core 52. And the goal for this whole new year is really to, to go on a journey to raising our biblical IQ as individuals, but also as a collective whole. Shameless plug, and I know Julia mentioned it in, in her opening, uh, but, but we are selling these books that will be a, uh, a companion uh, book to the Bible in this new year. Called, it's called Core 52. And uh, if you have not yet picked one up yet, uh, I would tell you they're at the church office, but we're sold out. Um, so we're going to be getting new ones this week. They'll be there next Sunday. We're actually um, charging less than cost for these books, 10 bucks a piece for the whole year. If that's something that's going to stress your, your pocketbook, that's okay. Just tell them that Jared said he'll pay for it. And you can just pick up a book next Sunday, and I'll, I'll pick up the tab for you. That, that's how much I believe in this resource as a companion to the Bible when it comes to really trying to motivate us to get into God's Word and to raise our uh, um, biblical IQ. You, you know, we live in a culture, friends, that I think is becoming more pluralistic and godless. And that's why it's so important as a church and as Christians that we not only grapple with the Word of God on a Sunday morning, but we spend the entirety of a week and a month and a year in the years of our lives really trying to fully understand and absorb what God's Word has to tell us about who we are, about whose God is, about our life's purpose, so on and so forth. So last week we kicked off the series with a verse out of Romans 12. Romans 12, verse 2. So every week of this series is going to have a different memory verse. And last week, the memory verse was Romans 12, 2. And if you remember it, it was, Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Uh, that's where the verse starts. I want to just pause for a moment and ask the question, How many of us, in a moment of weakness, will just lash out in ways that are unbecoming of us? Has that ever been you? That's been me. And you get finished with it and you think to yourself, man, I should be better than this. You know, when I get myself in those moments and I reflect on those moments, what I end up coming down to the conclusion is I have too much of the world in me and not enough of Jesus in me. So I got to get back into God's word so I don't conform to the patterns of this world. Instead, be, I'm, that I can be transformed by the renewing of my mind, being the person God has called me and created me to be. Uh, that's the first half of that memory verse. The second half has to do with being able to test and discern God's will, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Friends, if we're trying to figure out what God's will is for our lives, you're not going to find it in what culture tells you. You're not going to find it in what our society says to you, what a politician says to you, what your own feelings maybe say to you. You're only going to find it in the word of God. 
So as a church, you know, we are up against a lot in our world. And if we're ever going to stand firm in our faith, friends, we need, it's my last shameless plug, we need to root our lives in God's word. We need to raise our biblical IQ. That starts with radical change. We talked about that last week. It starts being New Year's Day. It seemed appropriate, right? It starts with making a commitment to follow Christ despite how unpopular or how uncomfortable it may make you feel at any given time. Um, many of you, I think maybe all of you, if you're not football fans, you maybe at least heard about what happened last Monday during Monday Night Football. My beloved Buffalo Bills were playing the Cincinnati Bengals, and in the first quarter, uh, uh, T. Higgins caught a pass from Joe Burrow and was running it down the field, and our Bills safety, DeMar Hamlin, grabbed a hold of him to tackle him, and something happened in the, that freak accident that caused DeMar Hamlin's heart to stop beating. Uh, personal trainer ran out in the field, and they spent 10 minutes trying to pump life back into this guy. Finally, he, they got a pulse, and they put him in an ambulance and took him off to a hospital down in Cincinnati, and the whole world stopped, it seemed. And everybody was asking for prayers for DeMar Hamlin. Please pray for DeMar Hamlin. Pray for a miracle. Pray for his healing, for his recovery. And I don't know about you, but often people will say, oh, I'll make sure to pray for them, or my prayers and thoughts are with you. But you really know they're not going to pray for whatever your need is. Have you heard that? Prayers and thoughts, or I'll pray for you, but you never actually pray for someone. Well, Dan Orlovsky, former quarterback in the NFL, is now an ESPN analyst, is asking on, on his show for prayers for DeMar Hamlin. And he stops short and says, you know what? We're always asking people for prayers and thoughts. I'm going to take a moment on public TV and pray out loud for DeMar Hamlin. So he says to those in the uh, uh, room with him and those on TV, I'm going to bow my head, shut my eyes, and close my hands. And I'm going to pray out loud for DeMar Hamlin. If you want to join me, please join me. And he offered up a really eloquent prayer for, for, for Buffalo Bill's safety. And he ended it by saying, in your name, amen. On ESPN, he offered up a public prayer. You know how unpopular and uncomfortable that probably was for him to do? But he did it anyways. And the question we posed last week was, what do you have to give up in order to be radically changed into the person that God created you to be? What do you have to let go of in order to grab hold of Jesus? Is it popularity? Is it comfort like Dan Orlovsky did a few days ago? Is it a vice or an addiction you just can't seem to shake? Is it materialism or money? Is it an unhealthy relationship? Yes, sometimes relationships can prevent us from living the best life God has intended for us. Is it pride? Is it jealousy? Is it the self-will? Is it the world? So today, that's radical, that change. Today, what I want to do is look at the topic of the freedom that is found in Jesus Christ. You know, friends, Jesus, when we are willing to let go, to give up that thing that either distracts, distracts us or prevents us from living in freedom with him, Jesus is, the, the call of Jesus is to encourage us to let that go. You know, when we think about freedom, I don't know about you, but I immediately start thinking about uh, forms of slavery that pits one person over and above another person. I think of the objectifying and the abusing of a person based off of any number of social constructs, be it race or gender or ethnicity or socioeconomic standing, uh, so on and so forth. And certainly when it comes to the vile institution of any kind of slavery in that context, we're the church, we must all work to set the oppressed free. 
We must raise our voices for those who have no voice. We must stand up and stand firm and stand by those who cannot stand for themselves. Uh, the founder of Methodism, John Wesley, uh, really did not uh, like slavery in any kind. And he spoke against the, the vile institution of, of slavery and the slave trade. So much so that six days prior to his death, that's what he has on his mind. And he decides to pen a letter to a guy named William Wilberforce. For those of you who don't know William Wilberforce, he was a, a, a politician in England during the 18th century and early 19th century. And uh, William Wilberforce advocated for the abolishment of the slave trade. Well, it was an exhausting effort that he felt oftentimes alone pursuing. But it was an effort that Wesley encouraged him to continue to remain steadfast, to not give up the fight to abolish the slave trade. So in this letter, six days prior to Wesley's death, the very last letter this man ever wrote, to William, he wrote to Wilberforce, and it says these words, Unless God has raised you up for this very thing, you will be worn out by the opposition of men and of devils. But if God be for you, who can be against you? Are they all stronger than God? And here's the encouragement. Oh, be not weary in well-doing. Go on in the name of God and in the power of his might till even American slavery, the vilest that ever saw the sun, will vanish away before him. Again, as a church, friends, we must stand up and defend the cause of the oppressed. We must work to abolish systems and people groups and, and, and things that enslave other people. Now, with all that said, even though social justice initiatives are worthy causes to speak of and pursue, today that's not what we're going to talk of in the context of freedom. What I want to talk about today is the freedom Christ gives us when it comes to the bondage of sin. And the freedom Christ gives us when it comes, hear this, to the prisons we even place ourselves in. Specifically things like the prisons of shame and guilt. So, so back in 2001, 22 years ago, uh, I was a student at Roberts Wesleyan College, and I had the opportunity to go on a mission trip down to Jamaica. No, we didn't stay at the all-inclusive resorts. Many of you have stayed up uh, in the Caribbean. It was a, a little more tenuous environment that we, we stayed in. But the, but the goal of this mission trip was to go to orphanages and just simply go to the nurseries and, and rock babies. Now, that doesn't seem like much, right? But you can think about an orphanage. Those kids really aren't ever touched. And in the right context and with the right intention, human touch is, is really a gift. So when we arrived on scene at one of these orphanages, we asked the missionary, what do you want us to do? She said, just go to the nursery and rock babies. And if there's any of you left um, with nothing to do, come back outside and play soccer with, with the other kids that are in the orphanage. So that's what we did. That was our mission trip. Now, the other half of it was an educational opportunity. I went with the social sciences department, social work, criminal justice, and sociology department. So part of it was mission. The other power is educational, where we actually toured some of the prisons in Jamaica. And the only way I can describe these uh, prisons to you today is they were barbaric conditions. I mean, inhumane conditions, the way they treated uh, the inmates of these prisons. Well, at one point as we're touring this prison, we were shuffled, escorted by the guards into a room where they informed us we were going to have a worship service with prisoners on death row. I didn't know what to expect. First thought was, are you guys going to stay in here with us? <laughs> right? I didn't know what to expect. But friends, what I received was one of the most vibrant spiritual experiences of my life to that point. 
These men, caged like animals, awaiting to die for crimes they committed, hear this, spoke of a freedom that they found in Jesus. Listen, up to this point, in terms of personal reflection on the experience, I personally have never done anything in my life that, that would subject me to a literal death as a consequence. But I also had never known the kind of freedom that these prisoners on death row spoke about, sang about, declared. Here's the predicament we're in as human beings. We're broken, right? Friends, we're broken, even pastors. We're all broken. We are sinful people. We have disobeyed God's law, and therefore we are deserving of death. Now, we're deserving of death for what we've done because God says so, right? The wages of sin is death. And as our creator, God, and God alone gets to set the parameters of our relationship with him, it doesn't work the other way around, right? We don't get to call the shots. We don't set the basis for relationship with God. Again, he does. Now, with that said, we may not like some of God's laws that he's established, but it really doesn't matter why. Because God established them. Right? So the, the only question that remains, regardless of how we feel about something written in the scriptures in terms of principle or truth, is will we abide by that or will we not? So, so at times my children uh, don't like some of the rules of the priesthood household. They don't. Right? I, I didn't have grown up either. But, but guess what? I, I don't really care. <laughs> as a parent, as their father, I get to set the parameters of the home. I get to set the rules. And if they're broken, there's consequences. Now, for some of you that might feel a little heavy-handed, but I take my job as a father seriously. I see it as my responsibility, my duty, to make sure my children are safe and secure. Like, like I always have their best interests at heart when, when I lay down a, a law or a rule. So even though they may feel it's unnecessary or unfair, if I deem it necessary for the sake of their safety, for their security, because I see the bigger picture of things, guess what? They're going to have to abide by the rule. Okay, God's law works in similar manner, right? He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. He sees the bigger picture. He knows what is necessary for our best interest. He knows what's necessary for the safety and security of us as human beings. But oh, like disobedient children, right? How often do we think we know what's best for us? That's the predicament Adam and Eve are in in the Garden of Eden. You know, when they disobeyed God's law, they ate the forbidden fruit. In that moment, they believed that they knew what was best for their life, not their creator. So in the letter to the Romans, uh, Paul speaks um, pretty exhaustively, really, about this predicament I speak of. In Romans 7, for instance, he talks about how we are sold as slaves to sin. What does that mean? Paul says every human being, apart from Jesus, because he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, every other human being is born with a sin nature. And this sin nature gives us the propensity to do what is wrong or the compulsion to do what is wrong, the wrong thing, not the God thing. Now, God certainly has tried to help us in our fruitless efforts by giving us the law to follow. 
You know, God's desire, again, hear me, his desire for us is to be the best version of you you can be that he created you to be. But sin stole that away from us. So again, God gives us the law. Do these things and you'll prosper. Do these things, these other things, and there will be consequences. Sounds easy, right? Right? However, since we're slaves to sin, since we're born with a sin nature, all the law does for us is give us a compulsion to want to break it. What do you mean I can't do that? You know, Paul uses an illustration of coveting. The law says, do not covet your neighbor's stuff. Well, Paul says, I didn't even know what coveting was until he told me I couldn't do it, but now that I know I can't do it, all I want is what my neighbor has because I don't have what my neighbor has. Give me what my neighbor has. Romans 7, Paul says this, I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is my flesh. Again, he's speaking to this sin nature we are born with. Okay? He goes on to say, I can will what is right, but I cannot do it. Nor do I do what I, or, or nor if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me. It's that old excuse, the devil made me do it, right? But that isn't what Paul's saying in Romans 7. He's not saying that, that he shouldn't be held accountable for what he is doing because it's really the sin in him that's doing it. He isn't saying that he should get a pass because he's well-intended even though his follow-through stinks. He's not saying that at all. What Paul is saying in Romans 7 is, I am held captive. I, I am in bondage to sin. There is, there is no hope for me in my own strength, my own efforts, in my own giftedness, in my own skills, in my own ability. Right? I don't have what it takes, Paul is saying, to experience the freedom that I desperately long for. He ends by saying this at the end of verse, chapter 7. Wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of death? And a verse later, he gives the answer. But thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. You know, Paul came to understand, the, those prisoners on death row in Jamaica came to understand. I, as well as many of you, have come to understand that the only way we can experience this type of freedom that Paul talks about is through the gospel of Jesus Christ. The only way that we have freedom from sin, freedom from the compulsion to do what is wrong, the only way recon uh, reconciliation will take place in relationships is through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Church, listen, no matter your past, no matter your current context, no matter what others may think about you or say about you, Jesus offers you today a freedom to life that is untouchable if only you would believe. This freedom, it comes by grace through faith that Jesus is indeed the Savior of the world. This is what Paul is saying. He's saying, look, I, I cannot save myself from my mistakes. I cannot work hard enough to keep God's law perfectly. But because I believe in Jesus Christ, because I believe Jesus came to this world to die on a cross for my sins, because I believe he buried those sins in the grave when he rose from the dead three days later, because of that, I know that I have been set free from that which holds me captive, from that which brings me death. Because I believe, Paul says in Romans 1, that the power 
of, or that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. Because I believe that, Paul can say in Romans 8, verse 1, it's our memory verse for this week, by the way, there is therefore now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. We are given God's unmerited favor, his grace to save us from what holds us captive. Now, I love how Mark Moore, Mark Moore is the pastor who authored Core 52, but I love what he says in his book. He says, one of the greatest difficulties Christians face is accepting God's grace. It's like, like Paul, we know we're lawbreakers, right? Like Paul, we know we deserve death, both spiritual and physical. And we rejoice in knowing that God in Christ Jesus has forgiven us, has, has set out a road for us to eternal life. We love that. We, we love the forgiveness God gives us in Christ, but to forgive self? That's a whole new thing, isn't it? You know, over the years, I have heard uh, people tell me, uh, people who refuse to darken the door of a church or, or people who refuse, if they darken the door of the church, to, to come forward and partake in the Lord's Supper, the sacrament of communion. I have heard these people say things like, I just can't do that because I'm unworthy. If you knew, Jared, what I have done in my life, you would know I am unworthy to partake in what God offers to me. And the thing is, they're not wrong, are they? Friends, the reality is we are all unworthy to receive God's love and his grace. But it necessarily doesn't matter how we feel about it. The Lord offers it anyhow. The Lord invites us to come to the table. And to not come would to deny the Lord the desire of his heart. Church, we must move beyond the judgment or the burden of judgment. We must move beyond the burden of judgment to the freedom of grace that God offers us in Christ Jesus. How do we do that? How do we move from the burden of judgment to the freedom of grace? Well, Mark Moore gives us the answer in three steps or three, three realities. First thing he says is to truly be free, God must forgive us of our sins. Guess what? Done. Check mark. God forgave us of our sins in Christ Jesus when he died on the cross. It's that easy. The second reality, if you want to be free, you got to also live according to the spirit, not according to the flesh. And listen, if you have claimed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have been given the gift of the Holy Spirit to live within you, to help you in your efforts to live free. And just as an aside, um, you know the spiritual discipline of fasting? You know, how many of us fast every week, right? That's, that's the top discipline on our list of, of things to do to, to grow closer to Christ and to spiritually form ourselves. Fasting has become kind of a obsolete in the mainline denominations in America today. And to me, I think it, it's... It, it, it's to our, our disservice, really. And the reason I say that, because the point of fasting, here's the point of fasting. The point of fasting is for your spirit to tell your flesh, I'm in charge. That's very counterintuitive to the American lifestyle, isn't it? We're all about in, indulging the desires of the flesh. If we feel something, we need to gratify that now. Fasting says, time out. No, the flesh, you're not in charge. The spirit is in charge. 
You want to, to live in more, in more aligned with God's spirit? You want to live with more power of God's spirit within you? Take up the discipline of fasting. And you will see how quickly you are able to squelch some of those desires of the flesh that are unbecoming of a person of God. Listen how Paul says it in, in Romans 8, verse 11 to 13. He says, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies also through the spirit that dwells in you. So then, brothers and sisters, we are debtors, but not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die, but if you live by the Spirit who put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. This to me is very straightforward and, and, and really a clear path toward freedom. Friends, God is offering himself to dwell within us, to intercede and help us in our moments of weakness. Do you believe that you have this newfound supernatural strength within you to help you in your times of need? Or are you still trying to do it on your own and in your own strength? If so, start fasting. Become more aware of the power and presence of God's Spirit within you. Friends, we have got to get a hold of the gift of God's Spirit in us if we're ever going to have what it takes to defend and then conquer the powers and principalities of darkness in this world. We've got to live according to the Spirit, not the flesh, if we want freedom. The third and final thing, Mark Moore says, in order to live free, we've got to remember our true identity. You know, we live in a world that wants to tell you who you are, don't we? We live in a world that wants to name you. Whether it's they want you to root your primary identity in your race or your ethnicity or your sexuality, that's big right now in America, isn't it? or in your socioeconomic placement on the ladder of life. Culture wants to name you. Society wants to name you. Listen, they did not create you, nor did they die for you. They do not have the authority to name you, to give you your identity. Your creator does, amen? Listen to what Paul says, and start and picking up the conversation again in verse 14 of Romans 8. He says, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption. When we cry, Abba, Father, it is that very Spirit bearing witness to your Spirit that we are children of God. You know, I, I think so often, it's it just maybe it's easier, I don't know, but we want to root our identity in our deeds or in our desires, Right? We're sinners, so therefore we're, or we sin, therefore we're sinners, or, or, or I'm confused about my sexuality, so, so culture, tell me what I am. Or I'm from this family, so this must be where my identity is really rooted, or it's in my race, or my ethnicity, or whatever we want to do. We, we, we look for things to give us our primary identity. Listen again, culture didn't create you, nor did culture die for you. They don't have the authority to name you. That is a lie from the devil himself. I love how Mark Moore says it. He says, our identity is in our created nature, not our fallen nature. Did you hear that? Let that soak for a second. Our true identity is in our created nature, not our fallen nature. We are created by God, therefore we are God's children. We are redeemed by Jesus, therefore we are his possession. 
We are filled with the Holy Spirit, therefore we are saints. And we may do things in life that aren't saintly, but we're saints. Friends, do you hear that? I think if we can believe that our primary identity is given to us by the God above, the God who created us, the God who redeemed us, and the God who daily sustains us, then we just might have a chance of taking delight in the law God has laid out before us. Let me frame God's power to us um, in this way. You know, many of you are in small groups, some of you know this about me. I love Mike Glenn. I hope one day before I die, I get to meet him and shake his hand and just tell him how much of an impact he's had on my ministry. He's a pastor out of Brentwood, uh, Tennessee. But he framed it this way, and I'm going to steal it as my own because I've referenced him enough where I think it's my own now. So, so this is what Jared says. The power of God in Christ is such that he can take the worst mistake of your life, that, 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 that terrible decision you made sometime long ago, he can take that regret, he can take that pain, he can take that mistake, and he can make it the first line of your testimony. You know, over 20 years ago, I'm in a Jamaican prison with death row prisoners worshiping Jesus Christ. And I left that experience realizing that these prisoners understood the power of God's gospel. Though they may have appeared like caged animals, friends, they were free as birds. They, their, the crimes they committed, the sin that had held them captive was nothing compared to the unbelievable and insurmountable love of God they realized they had in Christ and his death on the cross. The Spirit of God bore witness to their spirits that they too were children of God, fully redeemed, fully restored to their true identity. You know, I have to believe that if if prisoners on death row can understand and come to realize the beauty and the importance of the gospel of Jesus Christ, friends, then maybe we can too. Do you want to be free today? Well, like, is there shame and guilt in your life that you just can't seem to shake off? Are, are there things you regret that you can't go back and change? Are there things you've done you wish you could do over? If so, come to the cross upon which Jesus died and be set free. Be set free from past mistakes and regrets. Be set free from bad choices and addictions. Be set free from unbridled and inconsistent emotions. Be set free from the bondage of sin. Remember, if you are in Christ Jesus, there is now no condemnation. For you or me. Praise be to God. Amen. Let us pray. Lord God, we have gathered in this place to celebrate who you are and what you have done for us in Christ. God, before Jesus' work on the cross, we were sold as sins to slave, to, to, slaves to sin, excuse me, looking at, at a future of death. But because of Jesus and the cross, we celebrate that there is now no condemnation for those of us who believe. Because of Jesus, we have been set free. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you. God, we ask now that with the help of your Holy Spirit that you would help us live lives worthy of this gospel we speak of. 
that you would help us to go out into our world and help other people break through chains of past mistakes, of regrets, of unbridled emotions, of addictions, of bad choices. We ask this, Lord, that you do it all for their good and for your glory. It's in Christ's name we pray and all God's people said.